0: See it, friends, and welcome to The World Transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At The World Transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all. The one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen.
1: Hey, Phil. How are you?
0: Well, I am super fantastic. How are you, my friend?
1: Man, I am doing great.
0: I'm uh, I'm back from vacation, so I got uh, cool. got into the uh, the home office today. Got a little rest finally. I, I think you were talking about
1: that. Uh. <laughs> yeah, uh, my 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 vacation was a couple of weeks ago, and I I told you after I got returned that yeah. I uh, I felt the need to get back to work so that I I wouldn't be completely exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. It's
0: kind yeah, of the, it takes it takes a few days of work and then you finally you recover yeah, from
1: from the, from the vacation.
0: All the fun, but it was great. There uh, great there,
1: there comes a point in middle age, Phil, where work becomes fun and fun becomes work. Uh, I I feel myself approaching that. I don't. Know
0: well, when I reach middle age, I will.
1: Uh, uh, <laughs> you'll I'll, let me know. I'll, right? I'll check in with you on that. Sure. <laughs> absolutely.
0: All right. Well, we got a we got a fantastic show and uh, we got a fantastic guest. I'm gonna go ahead and bring him out. Our guest this evening is the Executive Director of the Institute for Ethics and Emerging Technologies. James Hughes is a bioethicist and sociologist who serves as the Associate Provost for Institutional Research, Assessment, and Planning for the University of Massachusetts, Boston. He holds a doctorate in sociology from the University of Chicago, where he also taught bioethics at the McLean Center for Clinical Medical Ethics. James is author of Citizen Cyborg, Why Democratic Societies Must Respond to the redesigned human of the future and is working on a second book tentatively titled Cyborg Buddha. He's also a contributor to our book, Visions for a World Transformed. From 1999 to 2001, he produced the syndicated weekly radio program, Change Surfer Radio, which we have to confess was one of the sources of inspiration for the program you're listening to tonight. James is a fellow of the World Academy of Arts and Sciences and a member of Humanity Plus, the Neuroethics Society, the American Society of Bioethics and Humanities and the working group on ethics and technology at Yale University. He serves on the State of Connecticut Regenerative Medicine Research Advisory Committee as well. When not doing all that, James speaks on medical ethics, healthcare policy, and future studies worldwide. And once in a great while, he makes an appearance on the World Transformed. James Hughes, welcome to the program. Yeah, it's great to be here. Oh, it's great, great having you back. It's uh, I was doing the math. I think maybe the last time we had you on was probably part of a panel in the special series we did in. 2011, right? So that's some six years.
1: Okay, so yeah. just way, too the, long. way too
0: give long. Give us the quick version. What's happened in the past six years? Go. No. Just
2: kidding. <laughs> oh, my. Just in the last 18 months, a lot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, Phil. I need to. I need to correct now. you on, on. I think I need to correct you on one aspect of James's bio. Uh, he was. Uh, he did his Chain Surfer Radio from 1999 to 2011, not 2001.
0: Oh, I'm so, sorry. Did I miss misspeak? Thank you. Yeah. So it went on for a long, much longer run than I. You did. know what
2: happened with that is my my kids convinced me that I needed to start vlogging, so I. I stopped doing the radio show and the podcast and was preparing to vlog, and then life intervened, and I never got around to the vlogging. So, But I need to get back on the air
0: somehow. Oh, but you did quit doing the podcast. I know how that sort of thing works. It's like, well, I've got to stop doing this one thing to start the other one, and then they both go away, right? That's, exactly. Yeah, life, life can be <laughs> tricky that way. Well, I thought we'd start out this evening, talk a little bit. About your contribution to our book, "Visions for a World Transformed," came out in March, has been very well received. By the way, I think so far it's still got a five-star rating all the way across the board on Amazon. So we're uh, real pleased with the with the reception that uh, that the book has had so far. And your piece was potentially one of the most controversial. Although I, I haven't I haven't seen a lot of pushback on it so far, but Uh, The title was Install a Virtues Control Panel. And the idea, well, uh, let's let's let you describe the idea. What's what's a Virtues Control Panel, and uh, how and why would we install such a thing?
2: Well, the the things that have kind of interwoven throughout my intellectual life are spiritual stuff, political stuff, and futurism stuff. And this uh, Virtues Control Panel idea is more or less the the crosshatch of um, the spiritual stuff and the futurism stuff and it was it it came out of some of the things that I was thinking about um, early on when I wrote Citizen Cyborg about what if we start tweaking various aspects of our personality and uh, our capacities as human beings uh, mental capacities And it's just gotten more and more complicated since then. Uh, It's the the basis of uh, my second book project, which hopefully will eventually come to fruition. uh, Like an elephant baby (laughs) seems always (laughs) on the cusp of being born. Um, But this uh, project uh, has gone on long enough that there's a whole field of bioethics devoted to the questions that I'm addressing there called moral enhancement. Um, And my particular axe to grind in the moral enhancement debate has been that um, if you are sufficiently well-read enough to understand that there's 2,500 years of thinking about what it makes to be a good person, Um, that it's not just jacking up our empathy with uh, oxytocin or jacking up our capacity for moral reasoning with cognitive enhancement drugs or something like that, Um, that there's uh, a lot of different things that go into uh, what most religions and philosophies have considered to be a good person. There's a kind of uh, an ensemble of virtues. Now, Every religion and philosophy has its own ensemble, um, but there are some overlaps they almost all have some form of compassion or caring or empathy. They almost all have some degree of self-control, sexual self-control or whatever. And what I was proposing there was that in the future, um, for reasons that don't have to be spiritual or religious, but could just be in order to um, to live up to your, your own expectations and the expectations of, of the people around you, that it would be nice to be able to tweak those uh, capacities which in some some contexts you would call virtues so um, if you're going to work in the morning it'd be nice to be able to tune up your conscientiousness and your self-control and uh, tune down a little bit your impulsivity and maybe your creativity um, but when you go out to a party you might want to tune those in a different way that you might want to have a different set of capacities for different contexts, so different for a date than for parenting, and so forth. Um, so that one of the problems that we have in transhumanism in general, and also in this context, is that if we just imagine some kind of ideal, perfectible self, that we get to a point where you know, what, what's the optimal? What's the uh, the best amount of muscle mass to have in your body, or what's the best uh, way to think? Um, that it would work in some contexts, but not others. And those may be the choices that we face in the future, that it may be relatively inflexible choices. But the best kind of future to have would be one in which we would have the flexibility to do a little bit of something in the morning, a little bit of something different in the afternoon with our brain and our body. And so this is the application of that concept to virtues in general, the kind of uh, a virtues control panel.
0: Yeah, you think about um, a thermostat in your home that you that you might vary the setting depending on the time of the day or the the time of the year, or even as simple an analogy as what station on the radio you're going to listen to, right? What music you're going to listen to? Your you, your your behavior is like that, right? It's it's going to vary from situation to situation. So you don't want you don't necessarily want a rigid answer um, to the question, or even a rigid set of answers to the question. You want some some level of flexibility.
2: In there exactly, exactly. Having to choose one kind of music to listen to for the rest of your life would be suboptimal um how yeah. do you think does it does it start
0: with it, it feels to me like it would start with editing stuff out right i mean if if I had a virtues control panel, the thing I would want to set it to is just never to lose my patience with my kids right i would I would love to have like that setting where where the, no matter what they do. They can't they can't push that particular button right and and I everybody has like like those those kinds of buttons. would, would it be would it begin with with those kinds of things? do you think or would it start more with um, it would push us towards behavior not not away from things
2: how how, how how would you see it working? I think it's hilarious that you use that example because my wife I'm a former Buddhist monk and my wife and I are both Buddhists and we used to do a lot of meditation retreats and stuff and then when we had kids and then my kids are now twenty two or twenty four, um, when we had kids, the meditation became harder to come by, <laughs> yeah. and the spiritual practice that I told most people that I had was not losing my temper with my kids. That is, in fact, when you're a parent, uh, the, the daily um, you know, test of how on top of it you are. And uh, and I also have an experience as of having ADD as a kid and, and as an adult going back and uh, getting re-diagnosed with ADD. And um, one of the things about stimulant medications, which is a part of this whole discussion, is that um, if you have ADD, it's a lot easier to to lose it in those kinds of contexts. And uh, when I'm sufficiently jacked up on my ADD meds, um, I don't lose it as easily now. My kids don't quite push the same buttons as they do now that they did when they were five. But, um, but yes, that that is uh, part of it. Losing it with your spouse, you know, right? Just yeah. staying on top of of your obligations as a, as a family member. Or in Buddhism, we would say, as a householder, that is uh, your daily ethical test. Yeah. yeah. In the oh, go ahead, Stephen.
1: I was just going to say. I mean, I love the idea. Here's, you know, I, obviously uh, the big issue is that the control panel remain in the control of the of the individual, right? Uh, the last thing we'd want is something that would be hackable by somebody else or controllable by a government entity or something that just decides, this is the way Stephen needs to act from now on, um, you know, and <laughs> here's the way Stephen needs to vote from now on. Um, you know that's that's you know that, that's the scary part of it uh, is that uh, if, if if in some way uh, this could be uh, controlled by someone outside of yourself uh that's you know um, that that's a it's a little bit concerning obviously right
2: absolutely and you know we face this uh, outside of the the modification of personality context uh, whenever we talk about transhumanist uh, ideals or options that you know the first response was who's going to determine whose genes you know you yeah you say you today that just parents are going to be able to choose their kids genes and that they're just going to do it for good reasons but what if the government comes along and says what kind of genes kids are going to have what what then and that's uh, certainly something we have to worry about I mean the, my response to that is in general that if you're worried about authoritarian governments telling people what to do with their bodies or their brains that the way to fight that's not to fight a particular technology but to fight authoritarian governments because us in the west or in liberal societies saying we're not gonna allow you know we're not gonna permit people to start doing these particular kinds of things with their brains so that Kim Jong-un doesn't do it to his citizens that doesn't make any sense at all you know he's gonna do whatever he wants you know Putin's gonna do whatever he wants um, whether we uh, say that we're going to develop it or not, and, and you know, of course, China, 1.5 billion people, and they're they're forging ahead with these kinds of technologies. So yes, we're definitely going to see authoritarian applications of genetics, nanotechnology, right. artificial intelligence, and these kinds of moral enhancement technologies.
1: Right. Well, I mean, you know, there's also the issue. Here, here's another issue. We, you know, you might. It might be best if uh, some boundaries are placed on, on how much some pers- uh, a person could edit their own behavior, because what if someone who's in an abusive relationship decides, you know what, I I'd, I'd never want to lose patience with my spouse who's beating the crap out of me, right? That's maybe a I just great... Want to, you know, maybe I just want to, you know, just take my beating and, and it never upset me. I you know? think
2: uh, you're absolutely right, that, and that is something, you know, these are the kind, I just want to assure you that I have not... <laughs> ignored yep. these uh, possibilities in the things that right. I've been writing. Um, that is certainly a possibility, the kind of techno fix for social problems. Again, this is not something that's foreign if you're in the futurist circles. You know, if people say, right. you know, uh, Anders Sondberg uh, wrote an essay a couple of years ago with a couple other bioweathers, and he said, uh, you know, well, for the solution for climate change is we just ge- genetically engineer all the human beings to be three foot tall and to be able to <laughs> photosynthesize, and then we won't have any problems. Anyway, this is a common problem that we face in talking about modifying people is that it could be perceived and could, in fact, function as a techno fix for social problems. We don't want, um, you know, SOMA to make people happy. When there's an authoritarian government, so that they just lie in the gutter and and don't care about, you know, living under dictatorship. We don't want um, women to take the um, obedience chip uh, as the solution to being beaten by their husbands, et cetera, et cetera. So I think those are absolutely correct. But at the same time, um, you know, I think in a free future that we imagine, that people would have the option to make them sell you know for if you did go into marriage counseling and the marriage counselor said you have to be a little bit less rigid and you have to do a little bit of X something else then we do want people to be able to to have those options um, even if the extreme of that could be you know taking the obedience chip. I, I wonder about things like if
0: for example I have any capacity at all to just show up at the workplace someday with a gun and start blowing people away, I'm perfectly okay with, you know, the government or whoever putting a thing in that says, no, you're not you're not going to do that. I don't think I have that capacity. Uh, when I examine my own life up to this point, and, you know, more than half a century, I've not even remotely thought about doing anything like that. But it would be okay with me if, if there was a switch that would switch that off on everybody, right? Um, I'd be okay. Yeah,
1: there's... Yeah, there's there's certainly some you know some broad, great you know things that you could you could do uh, that wouldn't I don't think anybody would have a problem with.
2: Or right? is
0: that a slippery slope if you start giving that kind of uh, well, control to the government?
2: I've never met a slippery slope. I didn't think could be have some steps carved into it. Um, okay. I think mo- most slippery slope arguments don't work very well. But I, it's good that you start at that at that extreme because. You know, at the one end, we we might all want to have the amount of compassion of the Dalai Lama and self-sacrifice of Mother Teresa, et cetera, et cetera. But really, where this is going to start is at the other extreme, where what do we do about psychopaths? What do we do about people who who demonstrate reckless uh, lack of self-control? What do we do about uh, people who um, have absolutely no capacity for fairness, uh, you know, honesty, things like that. And those kind of people tend to get in trouble with society and the law. Uh, So one of the places that this is going to be applied, and is already being applied in some ways, is criminal rehabilitation. So an example is uh, testosterone suppression for um, sex offenders. That, uh, especially for pedophiles, but also for some other kinds of sex offenders, Um, It turns out that testosterone suppression significantly reduces their recidivism rate. Now, there's debate about how much, but it's being offered now in many states and and some countries um, as an option. And that is a form of moral, that's a form of biological moral rehabilitation. And so you can imagine that the same thing uh, could be true in the future, that we would be able to say, you know, you have a propensity for kleptomania, you have a propensity for uh, violence, Um, Now, what do we do if we say, you know, someone commits a hate crime and they get sent up and the judge says, you seem to have uh, way too much concern about immigrants and black people, and we could fix that. Um, That, there we go, there's the the slippery slope. Is, you know, beating up black people in the street, that's a crime, but is hating black people itself something that once you get arrested for beating up black people you should get your brain fixed because you hate black people too much uh, that's I don't know you know it's, it's in that gray zone for me um and and we're gonna have to face those kinds of things but what we do know is that the history of the Soviet Union was that psychiatry was used for decades uh, to treat political dissidents you know right. <laughs> that political dissidents itself was considered uh, a treatable offense uh, for psychiatrists, and and we don't want to end up there, and so we know where we don't want to end up, and we know where we're going to start.
0: Yeah, yeah. It it seems it seems if you, if if you talk in terms of behavior, it it feels much safer than as soon as you start talking in terms of thought, feelings, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as, soon as we start editing people's opinions, that that gets really spooky.
2: I, I but but one true. of the conditions for parole is you know is this person likely to reoffend and yeah, and that's precisely why people are being offered you know as a sex offender if you take this we know you know that you're going to have less likelihood to reoffend so you will get parole if you take it and you won't get parole if you don't right. and and we're going to face that in a lot of different contexts but anyway the, another another aspect of this is just psychiatric treatment people going in and sit, you know. I just read an essay today about could a psychopath actually give consent? Would they give consent, and could they give consent to have their brain be fixed to not be psychopaths and They said you know basically this bioethicist said, even if they wanted to give consent um, because there are some evidence that psychopathy makes people miserable, um they might psychopathy itself might make them incapable of actually understanding the consequence We can never really understand what it would be like to be a different person right a different right. kind of person and and that's a really hard nut to credit, too that's, that's yeah, you know I, i'm sure that.
1: you i'm sure you guys have had days that felt like you know man i mean just this, today was the perfect day because i got up this morning and uh, i kissed my wife and uh, you know and, and head, headed off to work and i was in the zone all day and solved problems and got home and you know, played with the kids and was the best dad ever, and, you know, every, just, everything just seems to be clicking. I mean, if there are a way to just put myself in the zone as the, you know, best dad, best husband, best, uh, best lawyer, you know, or at my job, or w- whatever, if I was able to, you know, to do that, you, you, and, you know, and I held that control panel, don't you know I would do that? Because, I mean, that... I mean I, I can't you know I can't imagine a better and happier feeling when you lay your head on the p- pillow at night than man, I was on fire today in every aspect of my life that's, that's
2: a great observation because you know one of the things I've been dealing with with this book when I wrote Citizen cyborg, I was basically John Stuart Mill's case and making putting a left wing flavor on it. but uh the more I thought about it over the years. Um, the more I began to realize that my concept of happiness was pretty attenuated. And, that, and we've begun to have a much more sophisticated understanding of happiness in the psychology literature as well as, you know, the, the philosophical literature is ancient on this. But basically the, there's a different kind of happiness of the pleasure of eating ice cream or sex or, you know, the daily pleasures, which you can fill your life with, versus the accomplishment that you feel when you've, really done what you wanted to do with your life and sometimes that's hard like having kids making your sacrifices for your kids making a sacrifice at a job working really hard those are hard things to do but when you get them done and you do them well you have a really strong sense of accomplishment at the end of your life you'd rather have that than having a life of 24-7 pleasure and one of the problems we have we face as transhumanists is we're going to have both of those options and how many people are going to choose the former versus the latter
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I would argue that it's just a, it's a deeper form of happiness. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, there you could, you, you can have a life of pleasure, you know, or you can have a life of consequence. I think that uh, to me, there's a deeper ha- happiness uh, associated with consequence. I mean, being consequential in life, but you know, obviously you mix in pleasure with it, um, you know, and that's, and uh, in, in, you know, you can be in the zone of, you know, when you're seeking pleasure too. I mean, it's, but it's um it's you know I, you you better believe if i if if there are a way to to always be able to turn that switch i i shoot I, that'd be a big part of my life if i if if uh, if i held 100% control of it and and to some extent we do i mean you know we as adults we we often have some control over you know uh you know how we how we interact with the world and the and the you know and how and how we do on a day-to-day basis but uh you know, there's some days we just don't feel it. I mean, and, and I, I, I know y'all know that too. So it, it would whatever. be
0: nice. It would be nice to, to be able to kick it in when you need it. That's for, that's, for that's sure. right.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, you, you you know, David Pierce,
2: uh, and the, oh, sure. yeah, yeah. I mean, this is partly also a kind of argument or discussion with him because, you know, he basically thinks we could jack everybody up to 11 on the happiness uh, meter. And, that the things that we're currently motivated by, by the difference between, you know, if, if our current happiness, uh, day-to-day happiness, the hedonic, the kind of pleasure happiness, is between like zero and 10, he thinks in the future would we'll be able to get everything done by jacking it all up to the difference between 10 and 11 or 10 and 12. Um, you know, extraordinary levels of bliss versus super ordinary levels of bliss or whatever. And um, I think there's a danger there because what we see is that there is a, already this distribution of happiness or kind of set points of happiness in the population and almost everything goes fine until you get up to like the top two percent you know the, the more happy you are the more relationships you're going to have the more likely you're going to get married the less likely you're going to end up on drugs and the criminal justice system et cetera, et cetera all those things go well until so you get up to the top two percent the people who are hap- the happiest absolute happiest they work less, they make less money, they get less they get married less often because they're so already so happy. You know, they're not motivated to do anything. <laughs> so so you know, I think one of these things that we're going to have to learn as we get more and more control over our brains is that some people are going to make those choices. They're just going to they're going to jack in the soma, they're going to put in the wire in their head, they're going to lie in the gutter and that's going to be their choice. But for the rest of us, we're going to have to say no. You know, the better kind of life is a life of being
1: it's it's a it's akin to the uh, the argument that uh, our the last uh, the last invention we'll have is the holodeck, right?
2: Exactly. You know, we, yeah.
1: You know, we uh, there's you know ten Kate Uptons in my holodeck, and that's where I'm going to stay the rest of my life, right? Um, you know, well, you
0: can, the the thing is, you can you can it depends on how deep you want to do the editing inside, right? So you can you can make it so that you'll get the ten Kate Uptons worth of pleasure out of doing your job well and being the best dad ever, right? I mean, but, but at that point, you're really kind of jacking around with who you are. I mean, I guess that's, that's yeah. the final question on the, the virtues control panel, which is, you know, is there some innate individuality or humanness that requires our capacity to go off, right? To be wrong, to, 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 to do things incorrectly that we would lose, Right by by putting even moderate uh, controls in place, are we are we going to lose something in the process?
2: Well, I think there's two questions there. One is, do would a a future in which we didn't make mistakes would that be one in which we'd learn the same things? Or if we had the kind of um, training wheels for our brain, or you know the super jetpacks for our brain, would we learn the same things as having to sit down on the cushion and do it the hard way? Um, I think. There's, that remains to be seen. There's probably some empirical tests that we need to do. You know, If you could figure out exactly what an enlightened brain looks like and give someone a pill to do that, would it really make any difference whether they got there the hard way or the easy way? But I think the second part of the, the, the question is, is there an authentic way to be? And I think one of the big things that transhumanists in general, people in general, haven't really grappled with is this, as a kind of Buddhist insight that we don't really, if you really look at the brain and the way that, and the personality and the way things happen, there is no real you. You know, there's just this kind of roiling mass of stuff that happens, memories, thoughts, perceptions, feelings, impulses, and... Sometimes the way it comes together it makes you miserable and sometimes the way it comes together it's okay. Um but in general the the real question that the Buddhists say you should ask instead of asking what's the real me because there is no real me inside all that mess is what what direction could I push all that to make it a happier a more effective uh, direction? And I think that's what you know this proposes is that yes, if you think that there's a real you and that the real you can't possibly be the one that needs an ADD drug because the real you is the one born with an ADD brain, and therefore you're really ADD, then yes, taking the ADD drug is going to be an inauthentic. But my argument would be there is no real you. If you're happier taking the ADD drug than not taking it, then that's the direction you should go.
1: (laughs) You You know, you peel back the layers trying to find the real you, and you find out you're an onion. (laughs)
0: You know, just exactly. like, no. <laughs> or you it. could find out you're an asshole, right? And, <laughs> hopefully that'll be fixable. In the
2: future. Yeah, either way, maybe
0: authentic is only worth so much, right? I, I guess that's the, that's the thing. Okay, well, let's shift gears a little bit because I, I did promise we were going to talk a little bit about techno progressivism. I, I feel like we've uh, we that's a, that's a good ending point uh, for talking about the Virtues Control Panel. Folks, once again, Visions for a World Transformed, the links are there on the site. Check it out. If you get the print edition, James's chapter begins on page 43. Okay, that's going to do it for part one of our interview with James Hughes and for this edition of the World Transformed. We will be back on Wednesday with part two of our interview with James Hughes. Look forward to being with you all then and until next time live to
2: see it.